0: Ezekiel chapter 34, I'm going to read verses 1 through 24 and then we'll finish the chapter Lord willing. It says, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel, prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered all over the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth, with none to search or to seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord, as I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts, since there was no shepherd, and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths and they that they may not be food for them. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep. And I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their, into their own land." And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. As for you, my flock, thus says the Lord God, behold, I judge between sheep and sheep, between rams and male goats. Is is it not enough for you to feed on the good pasture that you must tread down with your feet the rest of your pasture, and to drink of clear water that you must muddy the rest of the water with your feet? And must my sheep eat what you have trodden with your feet and drink what you have muddied with your feet? Therefore, thus says the Lord God to them, behold, I, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep, because you push with side and shoulder and thrust it all the week with your horns till you have scattered them abroad. I will rescue my flock, they shall no longer be a prey, and I will judge between sheep and sheep, and I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be, be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord, I have spoken. Now this is Probably as far as we're going to get tonight, but we'll see. We'll we'll just see how far we end up. If we do have time, we'll continue the rest of the chapter. But for right now, as God begins to make some promises of future restoration for Israel, He uses the bad shepherds that they used to have to contrast with Himself, who will shepherd them in righteousness in the future. The shepherds of Israel were the former kings and the priests over Israel who were to take care of the people of Israel. At this point, there are no shepherds in Israel. What's happened? They've all been taken captive or they've been killed or scattered to other nations. There are no kings anymore in Israel. There are no priests anymore in Israel. Uh, they are all been, been scattered or taken captive, like I said. But he's saying he's using this message to the former, if you will, shepherds of Israel. And he's talking about how they fed themselves and didn't take care of the people. But he's using their bad ways as a contrast to himself who he, as you saw, said, I, I am going to be the shepherd of my people Israel. I'm going to seek them, which we'll get to in a little bit. They were to take care, though, these other shepherds were to take care of the flock by teaching them and leading them to obey God's word. A good shepherd teaches and leads the flock to know the word of God and to know God himself. That's what being a good shepherd is. Go back to Deuteronomy chapter 8. You see, God had already promised that their obedience to his his word would bring blessings. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, we'll start in verse 6. And we'll go all the way to verse 20. It says, So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks and of water and of fountains and springs flowing out into the valleys and the hills a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. And you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and your gold is multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrible, wil- terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you, and test you to do, good, you do you good in the end. Beware, lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the power to get wealth, that He may confirm His covenant that He swore to your fathers as it is to this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you will surely perish like the nations that the Lord makes perish before you. So shall you perish, because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. Who is speaking this right now to the people of Israel? Well, of course God is, but who's he using? I heard it over here. Moses. Moses. God's using Moses. Was Moses a shepherd of Israel? Was he a good shepherd? Yes, he was a great shepherd, because what he did was point them to God. Of course, he was as human as you and I. And there we have a couple of episodes where he got a little frustrated with the people. And he one time said, am I going to have to bring water from the rock from you for you? But for the most part, Moses led the people to God, pointed them to him and his word. Moses was a good shepherd. We also saw last week that Ezekiel had been made a watchman over the house of Israel. And we saw that Paul had been a good watchman as well. Remember how Ezekiel had been told, you're responsible for their blood if you don't warn them of what what I've told you to warn them. And we looked last week in Acts chapter 20 that actually Paul said the same thing. He said, look, I'm innocent of the blood of all men because I haven't hesitated to teach you the whole counsel of God. Paul was a good watchman as well. But I want you to see as well, go to Acts chapter 20 again. Paul was also a good shepherd. But what made Paul a good shepherd was the fact that he pointed people to God and to his word. Acts chapter 20, verses 28 through 35. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Paul's talking to the Ephesian elders, the pastors, the shepherds of the church there in Ephesus. And they're meeting in Miletus at the time. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish every one of you with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified." You see, as he says, I'm not going to see you anymore. And he didn't believe he'd ever see these people again. He said, look, I want you to be a shepherd to the, God's flock that's under your care in the same way that I was a shepherd to you all. And then he goes and he says, I commend you to God and to his word. Folks, let me just caution you in these days that we live in which there's lots of people out there that want to be preachers and teachers. There's lots of people out there on the Internet that want to be instructors of the word of God. There are a lot of people that are out there and in it for their own selves. They're in it to draw people after them. They want disciples of them. As I've jokingly said lots over the years, especially from my Baptist background, there's a lot of preachers who love the fact that their name is on the sign and that their name is on the side of the church bus. That's not a good thing. Because the true shepherds are the ones who keep pointing people to the Lord and to His Word. To the Lord and to His Word. That's what the shepherds in Israel should have done. Years ago when I uh, went from from New Orleans to pastor a church in Chicago, The church was a little church, and they didn't have a very big church sign. And so on the church sign, they were all excited about me being their new pastor, and they wanted to put my name on the church sign. But the problem was the sign was so small that it also had the service times listed on the sign. And the way it worked out, it said, Worship Jim Johnson. And that was the first thing I did when I became pastor was said, Take Jim Johnson off the sign and we'll be fine, because I'd like to know when the worship service times are. It doesn't need to read Worship Jim Johnson. But there's a lot of people that want to be worshipped. They want the people to follow them. And folks, that's why the shepherds in Israel got in trouble. The kings and the priests of Israel did not point the people to obedience to God's word, but they used their positions of authority to feed themselves and to take advantage of the people they were to lead. I just thought of something here that's not in my notes. Go to John chapter 11. Jesus has just raised Lazarus from the dead. Go to verse 45. <clears throat> Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. And if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both what? Our place and our nation. What were they concerned about? Their position, their place. Even though God was proving that he was God through the miracles that he was performing through Jesus. They said, if this guy keeps on going, everybody's going to go after him and we're going to lose our place. Beware of those who are worried about their position. Look, let me say something to you here. You're just getting some free stuff here. Over the years, have there not been times when churches have had some schisms and some splits? And have there not been times when the churches have schisms and splits over whether or not a pastor should be there or not? One of the things that grieves me over the years, though, is a pastor who is willing to divide the flock over staying. I believe without question that if you Really trust in the Lord. You don't have to stay to keep your paycheck. God will take care of you. And there are going to be times that I believe that some of those pastors need to just say, you know what, the unity of the body is far more important than me staying and keeping my paycheck. I'm going to trust the Lord. And I'm going to move to where he wants me to be. Instead of making the church come to a vote on whether or not you want me to stay or whether you want me to go. And what that does is that causes everybody to come to a vote. And we get the two sides... And how often have pastors been more concerned about their position than actually the damage it would do to the flock? That was free. Go to Ezekiel chapter 22. Again, like I said, the kings and the priests of Israel didn't point the people to obedience to God's word, but they used their positions of authority to feed themselves and to take advantage of the people they were to lead. In Ezekiel 22, look at verses 23 through 31. And, you, and the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, say to her, You are a land that is not cleansed or rained upon in the day of indignation. The conspiracy of her prophets in her midst is like a roaring lion tearing the prey. They have devoured human lives. They have taken treasure and precious, precious things. They have made many widows in her midst. Her priests have done violence to my law and have profaned my holy things. They have made no distinction between the holy and the common. Neither have they taught the difference between the unclean and the clean, and they have disrespected or disregarded my Sabbaths, so that I am profaned among them. Her princes in her midst are like wolves, tearing the prey, shedding blood, destroying lives to get dishonest gain. And her prophets have smeared whitewash for them, seeing false visions and divining lies for them, saying, Thus says the Lord God, when the Lord has not spoken." The people of the land have practiced extortion and committed robbery. They have oppressed the poor and needy and have extorted from the sojourner without justice. Keep reading. And I sought for a man among them who should build up the wall and stand in the breach before me for the land that I should not destroy it. But I found none. Therefore, I have poured out my indignation upon them. I've consumed them with the fire of my wrath. I've returned their way on their heads, declares the Lord God. The priests, the princes, which were the kings and even the prophets, were far more interested in their position than the people. And instead of pointing to the, them to the word of God and obedience to his word, they actually profaned his word and were more interested in what was in it for them. Do you all know who Hophni and Phinehas were? Do you all know who Hophni and Phinehas were? If not, they were Eli's sons, and they served in the temple as priests, but they were far more interested in what they got out of it. They would take the portions best for them and all this stuff, And God ended up having to strike them dead. And Eli as well, because he approved of it. He knew what his sons were doing and he didn't deal with it. Go to Micah chapter 3. Let me give you another example of the fact that God has been watching and he knows that the nation of Israel has not been led by shepherds that were to take care of the flock. Micah chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. And I said, hear you heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, is it not for you to know justice, you who hate the good and love the evil, who tear the skin from off my people and their flesh from off their bones, who eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from off them and break their bones in pieces and chop them up like meat in a pot, like flesh in a cauldron? Then they will cry to the Lord, but he will not answer them. He will hide his face from them on that time, at that time because they have made their deeds evil. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead my people astray, who cry, Peace! When they have something to eat, but declare war against him who puts nothing into their mouths. Therefore it shall be night to you without vision, and darkness to you without divination. The sun shall go down on the prophets, and the day shall be black over them. The seers shall be disgraced, and the diviners put to shame. They shall all cover their lips, for there is no answer from God. But as for me, I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might, to declare to Jacob his transgression, and to Israel his sin. Hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob, and rulers of the house of Israel, who detest justice and make crooked all that is straight, who build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. Its heads give judgment for a bribe, its priests teach for a price, its prophets practice divination for money. That yet they lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed as a field, Jerusalem shall be a heap of ruins, and the mountain of the, house of, uh, mountain of the house, a wooded height. All the way through, we even see here now, the prophets and the priests and the kings were far more interested in who could put money into their pocket than they were the people. And have we not over the years seen preachers and pastors and shepherds in our churches who gave more attention to the rich folk than they did the poor? Doesn't the book of James chapter 2 go on and say, be careful, because when you actually see two families come into the house, into the house of God, into worship, and one's wealthy, and you say, hey, come have a good seat... And the ones poor and say, sit in the back, aren't you making judgments between people that you shouldn't be making? And folks, I just want you to understand that at this point, now there are no shepherds in Israel. They've been all scattered and destroyed. But God says to them, he has Ezekiel prophesy against them and say to them, you did not do what I led you to do and asked you to do. You were to point them to me. You were to point them to my word. Because actually, there's always only been one shepherd. All the other shepherds are under shepherds. In their responsibilities that they've been given, and leading the people. And he said, you didn't do it. But then the transition moves in verse 11 of Ezekiel 34. It says, for thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. Don't miss this. Because there's something here for us. Has anybody here got some loved ones you sure would love to know the Lord? Have you not caught yourself sometimes feeling like, well, if only so-and-so would talk to them. If only so-and-so would talk to them. Hey, your heavenly father is seeking them out. He may use individuals, but don't lose sight of the fact That thus says the Lord, behold, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. Yes, this is applying to the nation of Israel and how he's going to regather them in the last days. But that truth is applied to us as well because the church has been given the promises of Israel. Future are ours now. And we know for a fact that the scripture says that God is going to be the one seeking them out. And over the years, I've told parents, I've told people that have relatives that are that are away from the Lord or lost. I would say, listen, he cares for them more than you do. And we need to be reminded of that fact. We need to be letting that truth sink in. He cares for them more than we do, and he will seek them out. Go to Psalm 23. In contrast to these bad shepherds, Jesus is the good shepherd. Go to Psalm 23. And let's read it now in that very familiar passage, but let's read it in this context. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Folks, I'm going to give you a homework assignment. Get this in your heart. I'm not saying memorize it. Although, if you get it in your heart, you'll know what it says and you can quote this. But I want you to be able to do more than just quote it. I want you to get the truth of Psalm 23 in your heart to the point that the depths of what it's saying will become how you react to whatever goes on. Whenever something happens and you would have that tendency in our flesh to be panicky, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Yeah, but, no, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. That that sounds like a nap to me. That sounds really good. He he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you're with me, God. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Has anybody caught the transition that has happened yet? Has anybody caught the transition yet? Can you point it out? Very good, Jeff. Did you catch it? It goes from, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me, he does this, you lead me. You, God, do you see it? It now becomes, moves from theoretical to personal. As David is telling everybody, hey, God's my shepherd, I'm going to be all right. It moves now to a personal, and he's now talking to the Lord. He's not even preaching to the people anymore. He's talking to the Lord. It has made his heart. I want you to get to that place. I want myself to get to that place where we believe the truth of Psalm 23. Does that mean we won't go through this valley of the shadow of death? No, but when that happens, we don't have to worry about Satan winning because whatever happens, dying or living, God's going to walk me through it. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. And folks, all the way through, and what does it say at the end? Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I love that. Go to Psalm 80. Look at verses 1 through 7. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who are enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth. By the way, is he talking to a human shepherd? No, it's obvious here. You who lead Joseph like a flock, you who are enthroned upon the cherubim. Now, remember way back in our beginning of Ezekiel? Who's enthroned upon the cherubim? God. Shine forth. There's more to this, but that's good enough for now. I actually believe this is one of the prayers that the Jews are going to be praying and songs they're going to be singing when they realize Jesus is the shepherd. Jesus is the Messiah. When the Jews look on him whom they have pierced and when they turn to him and call out to him and he restores them, I believe this is one of the passages that they're going to be crying out. Go to Isaiah chapter 40. Look at verses 9 through 11. Go up on the high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold the Lord comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold his reward is with him, and his rep- recompense before him. By the way, when's this going to happen? At the millennial kingdom, at his return. The end of the tribulation period, when Jesus returns to the earth. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Again, another passage that points to the nation of Israel. The prophecy has been there all along, but it's pointing to the day in which the nation of Israel is going to turn to him and he's going to lead them. Go to Jeremiah 31. Look at verses 1 through 14. At that time, I love those words, prophecy words. At that time, declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the clans of Israel, and they shall be my people. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace where? In the wilderness, when Israel sought for rest. The Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Again, I will build you and you shall be built, O virgin Israel." I love the fact that when he redeems them, he's going to see them as a virgin, although he's been calling them a whore all the way through. Now, at that point, he'll see them as a virgin. Again, you shall be adorned yourself with tambourines and shall go forth in the dance of the merrymakers. Again, you shall plant vineyards on the mountains of Samaria. The planters shall plant and shall enjoy the fruit. For there shall be a day when watchmen will call in the hill country of Ephraim. Arise and let us go up to Zion to the Lord our God. "'For thus says the Lord, "'Sing aloud with gladness for Jacob "'and raise shouts for the chief of the nations, "'proclaim and give praise and say, "'O Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. "'Behold, I will bring them from the north country "'and gather them from the farthest parts of the earth. "'Among them the blind and the lame "'and the pregnant woman and she who is in labor together. "'A great company, they shall return here. "'With weeping they shall come. "'And with pleas for mercy I will lead them back "'and I will make them walk by brooks of water "'in a straight path in which they shall not stumble.' For I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the coastlands far away. He who scattered Israel will gather him, and will keep him as a shepherd keeps his flock. For the Lord has ransomed Jacob, and he has redeemed him from the hands too strong for him. Folks, let me ask you a question. Was the scattering of Israel literal or symbolic? It was literal. He literally scattered them, did he not? Well, that means that the regathering is going to be literal. The regathering is going to be literal. Go to Luke chapter 15. Luke 15. Look at verses 1 through 7. It says, Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. But you have to keep in mind, he's talking about the ones who think they don't need any repentance. That's what, remember the Pharisees and the, 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 the religious leaders didn't think they needed that. And he's saying, you guys are upset that I'm eating with the sinners? These people realize they're sinners. They understand their lostness. That's the ones I'm going for. That's The ones that, the, the ones that are going to respond to my drawing are the ones who understand the bad news. people that think they're okay. If you go and tell somebody today that thinks, well, I'm okay before God, you know, I- I'm all right, and say, well, I got good news, Jesus died for your sins, they don't think they're a sinner. They're liar. Yeah, well, they're wrong, they're confused, they're, they're. But at the same time, are they going to respond? No. They got to get to the point where they realize their lostness. Now, at the same time, don't lose sight of this. Jesus is speaking, and he uses this illustration of a shepherd going and seeking individual sheep. Does that sound familiar? It should have to these Pharisees and scribes and religious leaders, because that's what God said in Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 11. I, I myself will be the shepherd of Israel, and I will seek the individual sheep myself. Jesus was giving them a hint that he was the one that the prophecy was talking about, but they ignored it. Go to John chapter 10. He makes it even more clear here in John chapter 10. Look at verses 1 through 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes again before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. As stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of the strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. This charge I have received from my Father. By the way, did Jesus say, I am a good shepherd? He said, I am the good shepherd. Don't miss the definite article. Twice he said, I am the good shepherd. What was he meaning when he said, I am the good shepherd? Go back to Ezekiel 34 11. Go back to the prophecies of how God's going to come and shepherd his flock And there's going to be one shepherd. The prophecies have been saying this all along. And when Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, he's not saying, hey guys, I'm a better shepherd than them. I'm a good shepherd. No, he was saying, I am the good shepherd. And he was saying to them, the prophecies that were talking about how God was going to come and seek his sheep and draw them and call them by name and have them follow him. That's me. He was claiming to be the Messiah. But they missed it. We're not going to go back and dig into it too much for the sake of time. But back in chapter 34, you'll also notice in verses 17 through 22 that Jesus says he's going to judge between sheep and sheep when he returns to the earth and gathers Israel. Not only was he going to deal with the shepherds who fed themselves and didn't shepherd the flock. But he's also going to judge between sheep and sheep. See, we can easily sit back and say, well, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a priest. I'm not a prophet. I'm not a a king. I'm not one of the elders of the church. I'm I'm not a shepherd of the flock. Oh, but don't worry. Those of you that have been fighting amongst each other, he's been watching that too. The scripture is very clear. He says, you guys that have been pushing each other with the shoulder, you ones that have been getting the clear water to drink and then st- Turning it all up with making mud with your feet because you don't care about the people left behind you. Those are church members for your own sake and what you can get out of it against everybody else. When you see yourselves as in competition with your brothers and your sisters and you don't see the fact that you're all supposed to be together, united as one family in Christ, oh, don't worry, I'm going to judge between sheep and sheep too. So folks, I pray that you be listening closely. I believe, actually, and I'm not going to take the time to go into it, but I believe this will be a big part of the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ. Because there's tons of passages that talk about the one another's and how we're to treat one another. I believe that when we stand before Jesus, remember, we're already going to heaven because of his grace, and we've already had that given to us as a gift. But we're going to be standing before the judgment seat of Christ, where each one will be judged after salvation of according to what they've done, whether good or worthless, and how we have been obedient to the word of God and the spirit of God within us, or whether we've been disobedient. And I believe a major part of the judgment seat of Christ will be how we have treated each other. Folks, I pray that between now and when he comes and gets us, you go make things right between your brothers and your sisters whom you have had odds over the years. Don't say it hasn't happened. I've been a pastor long enough to know it happens. You parents have raised more than one kid. Have you had to... Stop a few fights between the two of them or the three of them or the four of them over the years. Happens in churches too. And one day God is going to judge between sheep and sheep. So don't sit back and say, not a shepherd. How have you treated the flock yourself? Verses 23 through 24, though, of Ezekiel 34 have been the center of much discussion. Go look at it again at verses 23 and 24. God says, and I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord, I have spoken. Let me read that to you again. I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them, he shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord, I have spoken. Now, if you do a study of these verses, you'll find that there is great debate amongst preachers today over what the interpretation of this is. Some Bible teachers say this is a reference. This reference to David is simply referring to Jesus who will shepherd his flock. But they just use the term David since Jesus came from the lineage of David. There are others, and I'm in this group, that believe that this passage and many others Speak of the fact that King David will rule in Jerusalem with David, with Jesus. Don't miss that. I'm going to take some time to show you from Scripture that I believe that this is not referring to Jesus. This is referring to David himself, who was king over Israel. I believe the Bible teaches that David is going to rule in Jerusalem with Jesus over the house of Israel. All right. So what I want to do right now in the time we have left is show you. Why I believe, and trust me, as I do this, I'm disagreeing with some very, very famous preachers. Well, it says one, but not the Right. It says my servant, not the. Exactly. There, that's a great point from the context, which is great. You want to pull the context out, Michael. But as, again, as I've been teaching you, you don't build your teaching from one passage. Let's see what the whole of Scripture says. First off, we should not be surprised to hear that people other than Jesus will rule during the millennial kingdom and shepherd the people of Israel. We shouldn't be surprised to hear that. Yeah, we're going to, we're going to be, but we're not going to be over the people of Israel. That's, true. That's right. But we will rule and reign with him. But go to Matthew 19. In Matthew chapter 19, look at verses 27 and 28. <clears throat> Jesus had just said that it's hard for a rich person to get into heaven. And then Peter said to him in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. <laughs> I love that about Peter. Jesus just said it's hard for a rich person to get into heaven. Peter says, by the way, in case you didn't notice, we don't got anything. <laughs> that puts us in the poor crowd. We've left everything to follow you. And Jesus said, truly, I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So here the scripture already shows us that Jesus is going to sit on a throne in Jerusalem, in the new world, millennial kingdom. But only that, the 12 apostles are going to sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So it shouldn't surprise us if there's a possibility that David himself will rule with Jesus in Jerusalem. As you've mentioned, and we're not going to turn there, but if you would go to 2 Timothy 2, verses 11 and 12, it talks about how we're going to rule and reign with him. If we've been faithful and we've suffered with him, we're going to rule and reign with him. But we're not going to rule over Israel. We're going to rule over the Gentile nations when we come back. But go to Isaiah 32 and look at verse 1. Isaiah chapter 32, verse 1. Behold, a king will reign in righteousness, and princes will rule in justice. Promise again the millennial kingdom. A king is going to reign in righteousness. Who's that? That's Jesus. And princes will rule in justice. Also, okay, so first off, we shouldn't be surprised that other people besides Jesus are going to rule and reign during the millennial kingdom over the nation of Israel. Secondly, though, this isn't the only place that references David as being in the millennial kingdom And some of these passages that mention David being in the millennial kingdom make very, very clear that David and the Lord are two distinct individuals. Go to Hosea chapter 3. Hosea chapter 3, look at verses 4 and 5. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, Without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods, afterward the children of Israel shall return and seek who? The Lord their God. What's the next word? And David their king. And they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. You see it? They're going to be without king or priest and all that for a long time, which they've been for many, many years. But when he regathers them at the end of the tribulation period, like I said... The nation of Israel existing now is not the promised prophecy being fulfilled of the regathering of Israel because all the prophecies talked about when he regathered them, they're going to worship him from then on and they're going to have no worries and the enemies will be defeated and they're going to have prosperity. But right now they're still under worry about attacks all the time and they don't worship the Lord. But at the end of the tribulation period is when this is all the prophecy going to be fulfilled. The fact that Israel exists just is simply prophecy being fulfilled so that the nation would be in the land so the Antichrist can chase them out. That the nation will be in the land, so all the other nations surrounding Israel will go after them to get them out of the land. All those prophecies couldn't have happened if there was no Israel in the land in the last days. So since 1948, Israel's now back in the land, so now the surrounding nations can get mad and try and chase them out, and Jesus can regather them and bring them back in. So the fact that they're back in the land is awesome, but it's not the fulfillment of the regathering prophecies. But in the latter days, he's going to regather them, and he's going to be their God, and... David is going to be their king. Go to Jeremiah chapter 30. Look at verses 8 and 9. It says, And it shall come to pass in that day, declares the Lord of God of hosts, that I will break his yoke from off your neck, that's the Antichrist yoke, from off your neck, and I will burst your bonds and foreigners shall no longer make a servant of him, but they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. Do you see it? Go to Ezekiel 37. We're in Ezekiel 34. Ezekiel 37 talks about it as well. Look at verses 24 through 27. My servant David shall be king over them, And they shall all have one shepherd. They shall walk in my rules and be careful to obey my statutes. They shall dwell in the land that I gave to my servant Jacob, where your fathers lived. They and their children and their children's children shall dwell there forever. And David, my servant, shall be their prince forever. So here we see king and prince using interchangeably. But David is going to be their king and David is going to be their prince. So again, we see David. Now, again, as I've taught you before, does the Bible use symbolic language? Yes, yes. But every time it does, it tells you what it symbolizes. If it says David, but it means something else, it would tell you what else it means. But when it says David and doesn't say David means something else, David means David. Oh, the evidence gets even stronger now, though. What I've just simply laid out for you is the fact, first off, that the Scripture shows that we shouldn't be surprised that someone besides Jesus is going to rule over Jerusalem and Israel because the 12 tribes are going to be led by the 12 apostles and that there are going to be those who are going to be princes over Israel during the millennial kingdom. At the same time, we've then looked at the fact that there are prophecies that show that David and the Lord are two different people. What I'm about to show you now in the time we have left is the fact that actually Ezekiel 44 and following, we're not going to take the time to read all of these because of the time we have. But go to Ezekiel 44 and look at verses 1 through 3. When we start getting into these passages in our future study in weeks to come, We'll get into that in more detail than I will tonight. But you're about to see that this one, the prince, that is described, which we know now, his name is David. He's going to be sacrificing for his own sins. And he's going to be having sons. And he's going to be sharing his land with his sons. And it's obvious the prince cannot be Jesus because of these things. Go to Ezekiel 44, verses 1 through 3. It says, Then he brought me back to the outer gate of the sanctuary, which faces the east, and it was shut. And the Lord said to me, This gate shall remain shut. It shall not be opened, and no one shall enter by it. For the Lord, the God of Israel, has entered by it. Therefore, it shall remain shut. Only the prince may sit in it to eat bread before who? Ah, so the prince and the Lord must be two different people. Otherwise, the Lord's eaten bread before himself. The prince can sit in that gate and eat bread before the Lord. He shall go enter by the way of the vestibule of the gate and shall go out by the same way. Go to Ezekiel 45. Look at verses 7 and following. And to the prince shall belong the land on both sides of the holy district and the property of the city. Alongside the holy district and the property of the city on the west and on the east, corresponding in length to one of the tribal portions and extending from the western to the eastern boundary of the land. It is to be his property in Israel. And my princes shall no more oppress my people, but they shall let the house of Israel have the land according to their tribes. When we get to this section, I'm going to break it all down for you. I'll even have some printouts so you can see where all the tribes are going to be in the millennial kingdom. It's different from when they got them in the land at the time of Joshua. Totally different distribution during the millennial kingdom. Thus says the Lord God, Enough, O princes of Israel. Put away violence and oppression and execute justice and righteousness. Cease your evictions of my people, declares the Lord God. You shall, have, you shall have just balances, a just ephah and a just bath. The ephah and the bath shall be of the same measure. The bath containing one-tenth of an omer and the ephah one-tenth of an omer. The omer shall be the standard measure. The shekel shall be 20 gerahs. She- 20 shekels plus 25 shekels plus 15 shekels shall be your mina. This is the offering that you shall make, one-sixth of an ephah from each omer of wheat, and one-sixth of an ephah from each omer of barley. And as the fixed portion of oil measured in baths, one-tenth of a bath from each core, and the core is like an omer, contains ten baths, and one sheep from every flock of two hundred from the watering places of Israel for grain offering, burnt offering and peace offerings, to make atonement for them, declares the Lord God. All the people of the land shall be obliged to give this offering to the prince in Israel. It shall be the prince's duty to furnish the burnt offerings, grain offerings and drink offerings at the feast, the new moons and the Sabbaths, all the appointed feasts of the house of Israel. He shall provide the sin offerings, grain offerings, burn offerings and peace offerings to make atonement on behalf of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord God in the first month on the first day of the month, you shall take a bull from the herd without blemish and purify the sanctuary. The priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering and put it on the doorposts of the temple, the four corners of the ledge of the altar and the post of the gate and of the inner court. You shall do the same on the seventh day of the month. By the way, who's supposed to do this? Okay, the priest. All right. And you shall do the same on the seventh day of the month for anyone who has sinned through, through error or ignorance. You shall make atonement for the temple. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month, you shall celebrate the feast of Passover. And for seven days, unleavened bread shall be eaten. On that day, the prince shall provide for himself... And all the people of the land, a young bull for a sin offering. And on the seven days of the festival, he shall provide as a burnt offering to the Lord, seven young bulls and seven rams without blemish on each of the seven days and a male goat for his daily sin offering. And he shall provide as a grain offering an ephah for each bull and an ephah for each ram and a hin of oil to each ephah. In the seventh month, on the 15th day of the month and for the seven days of the feast, he shall make the same provision for sin offerings, burnt offerings and grain offerings and for the oil. Now, we're going to get into this in great detail when we break this section down when we get to it. But I know some of you are sitting there going, why are they going back to the feast days? Why are they going back to the sacrificial system? Isn't, isn't the church the, 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 the... No, listen closely. I'm giving you a short answer tonight. I'm going to go in much more detail when we get here. But the church isn't the be-all and end-all. The church is just something that God is doing to manifest His glory to the spiritual authorities in the heavenly realms. And we're just for a period of time that he's just given his grace to the Gentiles. When that time of the Gentiles comes to an end, when the fullness of the Gentiles is accomplished, what's he going to do with the church? Snatch us up to go be with him. And then he'll finish with Israel. There's going to be sacrifices during the beginning part of the tribulation period because the Antichrist is going to step into the temple and put an end to the sacrifice. But as you're going to see, when Jesus comes back to the earth, he's going to have a cleansing of the temple and there's going to be the sacrifices again. There's going to be priests. There's going to be feast days. There's going to be the prince offering sacrifices for himself and for all the other people. I'm going to get into the details of why when we get to that. But the short answer is simply this. Will there be humans on the earth during the millennial kingdom that are not redeemed? Where have they come from? The nations... And Israel, those human Israelites that survived the tribulation period who were given righteousness and he'll put his spirit within them. We'll get right to you, Jeff. When he erases their sin, puts his spirit within them and moves them to follow his decrees, just like we've been given. Do you and I still give birth to sinners? But well, I thought we were arrayed righteous. That doesn't mean our babies aren't. They, too, have to. And the Jews who are born to the righteous Israelites are going to be need sin offerings and all this stuff. Go ahead, Jeff. And also the people from Moab and Edom that protected the Israelites on the the judgment of the sheep and the goats. Right. All those Gentiles are going to be gathered into... There are going to be humans that survive the tribulation period. And these humans, even though they've been given righteousness, their babies are going to be born. And those babies are still going to be sinners. And I'm going to get into a lot more detail when we get there. But let me just give you a little hint. Who is going to be in the presence of all these sinners on the earth? Us as well, but Jesus Himself. And in the Old Testament, there was a continual offering so that the Lord's presence in the Shekinah glory in the temple could be over the Ark of the Covenant, and so that God could be in their midst. They had to continually offer these cleansing sacrifices. Well, God Himself is going to be there amongst them, Jesus Himself, and there's going to go back to the sacrificial system during the millennial kingdom and all that. It's a picture of what Christ has already done, but again, and I'll get into the specifics more later. God has a reason for the sacrificial system during the millennial kingdom. We've got to get over all these years of thinking that the church was the be all and end all. And now this is the new covenant and God's all done with the. Oh, no, no, no. Um, the church is something that God has done for a period of time for his glory. It comes to an end. And then he goes back and finishes with Israel. And during the millennial kingdom, it even says that if, it, like I showed you, Egypt doesn't come and offer their sacrifices when they're supposed to, he won't let it rain in Egypt. Now, again, stick with me. We'll get into the specifics of that when we get to that part of the study. But I don't want you to miss the reason we read this long section. The prince is going to be offering sacrifices for his sin and for the sin of the people. Can that be Jesus? The prince can't be Jesus. Go to Ezekiel 46. Look at verses 16 through 18. Thus says the Lord God, if the prince makes a gift to any of his sons as an inheritance, it shall belong to his sons. It is their property by inheritance. But if he makes a gift out of his inheritance to one of his servants, it shall be his to the year of liberty, and then it shall revert to the prince. Surely it is his inheritance. It shall belong to his sons. The prince shall not take any of the inheritance of the people, thrusting them out of their property. He shall give his sons their inheritance, out of his own property, so that none of my people shall be scattered from his property. Does Jesus have physical sons that are going to be receiving property? No The prince is not Jesus. The prince is David. Go to ezekiel forty eight, look at twenty one and twenty two. What remains on both sides of the holy portion and of the property of the city shall belong to the prince extending from the 25,000 cubits of the holy portion to the east border and westward from the 25,000 cubits to the west border, parallel to the tribal portions it shall belong to the prince. The holy portion with the sanctuary of the temple shall be in its midst. It shall be separate from the property of the Levites and the property of the city, which are in the midst that belongs to the prince. The portion of the prince shall lie between the territory of Judah and the territory of Benjamin." So again, we're going to see when we get to that and we map it all out, there's going to be the holy portion where Jesus lives, and then around that is going to be the portion for the prince. And that prince is who? According to Ezekiel 34, verse 23 and 24. And I'll set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. Now we've got to be honest. We're not going to have time to get into the last section of 34. We'll get to that next week. But as we close tonight, has anybody even gotten a glimpse of the fact that this millennial kingdom is going to be a whole lot more detailed and specific and purposeful than we ever thought? i got to be honest with you. I wasn't raised in churches that taught the millennial kingdom. I was raised in churches that might not have even known what replacement theology was, but they taught replacement theology. I was raised by churches that taught you die and you go to heaven and you just stay there. The whole idea of coming back to this earth and living on this earth again with Jesus was never taught. Oh, we thought that the Jehovah's Witnesses were whacked when they talked about, you know, the land and the people on the earth. And, but the Jehovah's Witnesses are whacked because they're teaching that heaven, only 144,000 get to go be with God in heaven and the rest are on the earth and all this stuff which the Bible doesn't teach. But I was never, even, it never even crossed my mind that I would ever come back. When, after I go be with the Lord, I never thought that I would ever come back. And I gotta be honest with you, the first time I started realizing through study of the scripture that we're gonna come back and rule and reign with Him and be on this earth again for a thousand years, gotta be honest, wasn't excited because my first thought was, heaven's good. Why do I wanna come back? Oh, but that's why Ezekiel's gonna be fun as we keep going here because you're gonna see it's very detailed very specific about what God's going to do and how the land is going to be transformed and how things are going to be. And next week when we get start off, I'm going to show you that the section of scripture that we left off tonight, which we'll pick up with next time we get together. Did I say next week? Yes, it is next week. That's correct. Next week. It is because then I'll be gone for two weeks after that. But next week. We're going to look at the fact that the Bible actually says during the Millennial Kingdom, you can go camping in the woods and not worry about wild animals. That sounds good. That sounds good. But we'll get to that next time we study. I love you all. We'll see you next week. Thanks for coming. (laughs)